again, Brother Greg and Miss Lona and congregation. Well, that's my heart tonight. I just want to come to adore him in song and in sermon. May he be glorified. Psalm 51 tonight. Psalm 51. Quite possibly my favorite psalm. Of course, Tracy would say, why do you say that? You say that about every one of them. <laughs> it's hard not to love God's word, all of it. Tonight, we're just going to look at a portion of Psalm 51. We're going to look at the first six verses and... I've entitled this little psalm, the Psalm of David, I've entitled it a song of true repentance. I, I'm not real sure that most religious practices that we call repentance and confession of sin is really genuine. If it didn't change your life, change your ways, change your heart and your attitude, and your conduct, I'm not sure it's really repentance. That had been a good place to say amen right there. But David's is of a different sort. Can I tell you in this text, David's acts of repentance before God is not really what we see in the average church anymore. It should be, but it's not. May we model this act of repentance when sin invades our heart. I want this song to become my song. Verses 1 through 6. If you found your place, we invite you to stand. Let's honor and reverence the reading of God's holy and Aaron infallible sired word together. The Bible says in verse 1, David said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy love and kindness, According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou, mayest, or thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. You may be seated, and we'll trust the Lord to bless the reading of his holy word. Let me, if you allow, to put a big porch a front porch on this sermon. Let me introduce the context. The heading of your Bible, if it's a study Bible, would tell you this is a Psalm of David and Nathan the prophet came by after his sin with Bathsheba. That's the setting. But Psalm 51, to back up, is the fourth Psalm in this series of penitential Psalms or Psalms that expresses sorrow over sin. Many Bible scholars, and I'm going to jump right in there with them, will say that this is the greatest psalm in that series. And David writes this psalm again, following the visit of the prophet Nathan. It has been close now, most scholars say about a year since his sin with Bathsheba, committing adultery and with her husband having Uriah murdered, one of his best men, one of his most faithful men in the army of the Lord. And during this time, we know that the king had suffered greatly what most theologians call under the stroke of God. 
We don't know exactly what that is. We have some clues, but we do know at the end of the day, he suffered greatly both physically and spiritually. Now, I'm going to allude to the last two, Psalm 6 and then Psalm 38. I, I just told a fib. We had 32 in the middle of it, but Psalm 6 and Psalm 38, I'm going to allude to them tonight to give us some horrid details of his suffering. He described his wounds as stinking. He described himself as being bent over double and crippled in pain. He, he described it night and day. He soaked his bed as well as his couch with tears. So in the morning or in the evening, all he could do was cry over his condition, both spiritually and physically. He talked about how his spirit was crushed. His heart was broken. I think about this once man, this, this man who was once called the sweet singer of Israel, had lost his song. I know that. I'm not proud to stand here and tell you, but I know that by experience. Sin will take your song. You ever tried to come into the house of God and try to play and pretend? They'll get up here to sing, and it's the time that something just kicks in that says you ought to be singing, but you try to sing and you can't sing. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Sin will rob your song. The sweet singer of Israel lost his song. It was nothing now but a well of despair poured out from his sin-shattered soul. And most of his suffering, as you know from them in previous Psalms, was kept quiet. It was kept private during this time. He was desperately trying to keep his secret sin. But the Bible says in Numbers, be sure your sin will find you out and God will make sure it does. And he did in the life of David by sending his prophet, Nathan. Nathan came to the king. Nathan told a story of a rich man who had flocks and herds and flocks and herds and yet he stole a lamb from a poor man who had nothing in this world but that one little ewe lamb that he loved as his very own. He stole that to feed a passing stranger. Well, as king, he was also the acting judge. And so Nathan brought this story of this man in the kingdom who had done such. And the Bible said that David was furious. And he handed down a sentence of death and there would be a repayment of fourfold. And that old prophet of God, with a boldness from heaven, and an out, listen, it took boldness from heaven to stand before the king and pronounce judgment with a boldness from heaven, with an outstretched arm and a pointed finger. He looked right in the king's face and said, David, thou art the man. That story, that statement, that revelation brought the king of Israel to his knees before the living God and gave him this song of repentance. All I want to deal with tonight, I have found three chapter divisions in chapter 51, but I just want to deal with one tonight. I think it's more than enough for us to ingest. I just want to talk about David's confession. I think we need to talk about David's confession because we're not real good at coming clean before God. We need to learn how to confess our faults. We need to learn how to confess our sins. We need to learn how to repent before the living God. The Bible teaches us in David's confession, which is really 
this section that I've given you, one through six, we first find in this confession that David appeals to the mercy of God. Verses one and two said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Let me hang in verse one for a moment. And let me just remind you of something that I've said many times. I'm just unloading it on you because it was given to me. As a young preacher, I took a lot of advice and a lot of counsel from older preachers. I think for young preachers not to do that is the height of folly. They've been there, they've done that. And I had an old preacher tell me when I first got started, he said, I want you to reflect and meditate on the Lord's mercy because the longer you live and the older you get, the more you'll appreciate the mercy of God in your life. I didn't know a word that he was saying. I didn't understand that statement. But he's right. The older I get, the more I appreciate it. I think if we could resurrect David tonight, he'd say, praise God for his mercy. Mercy. So David appeals to the mercy of God. And notice how he uses this in verse 1. He talks about the multitude of tender mercies, plural. The multitude of tender mercy. So after receiving this convicting word from God's man, the prophet, who was not the prophet's words, it was the words from the living God. That's why you need church. That's why you need a healthy diet of not man's words, but God's words. I'm convinced we need the man of God on the day of God to stand up with the word of God and preach the whole counsel of God. You need a daily diet outside the church of the word of the living God. David was fine. David was consumed in trying to cover up his sin and get by with what he got by with until the man of God took the word of God and confronted his sin. No wonder people don't want to come to church. After this confrontation, if you want to call it, David cries out for forgiveness and he begs God for a cleansing. And he based all of that on God's righteous character that is love and kindness and it is full of tender mercy. And I want to thank God that there is a multitude of those mercies because I'm convinced we need to get all we can get. We need more. David had a Flawed character, as you know, David had nothing in his own merit. He had nothing he could bring to the bargaining table. He had destroyed his testimony. He destroyed his witness. He had lost his integrity. And see, in that moment, usually people run from the church and they run from God. And they run away from the word of God. But I learned that's something you can never get away from. Have you ever noticed that? It's like God sicks out the hounds of heaven after you. His word continually follows and pursues after you. He's got a man of God somewhere that's going to share the truth of God's word. That's what he found out with David. But David could not come to the bargaining table with God because he had blown it. As the songwriter said, nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to his cross I cling. And so David could do nothing but cast himself on the mercy of God. But I'm glad he could. I'm glad for God's mercy. Mercy is the sole basis of our approaching a holy God as flawed sinners. 
I want you to hear that. That is the only thing we have. That is all we can claim. That is the only reason we can approach holy God. We cannot come to God on our own merit because we have none. We are sinners who have missed the mark. We have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. All of our righteousness is filthy, putrefied rags in the sight of holy God. We cannot come to God on the basis of justice. And I don't want that anyway. If we come and say, well, I just want a fair trial before God with my wrongs. Uh -uh. Because if we demand justice, that's what we get. And justice will show us guilty and condemn us to death and hell. If I got what I deserved, that'd be bad. We cannot come on the basis of justice. We'd be guilty and stricken dead. And the only reason we dare come to God and we dare hope for help in God and desire a solution to our sin problem is because His mercy is tender and it endures to all generations. And it's abundant. Now, I'm eternally grateful for the mercy of God that never runs out. That's why you should never run away from God. That's why you should never run away from the church. You should never avoid the ministry of the word. You need to run to Jesus. Why? There's an abundant mercy. It's multiplied mercy. It's tender. The Bible teaches us it's available. And I'm thankful for that. So David, in his confession, appeals to the mercy of God. But he also describes to us the misery of a sin-torn man. He says in this text, O oh God, according to your multitude of mercy, your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. We find a man who is debilitated, and I, I would have to say we've got to keep Psalm 6 and Psalm 38 specifically in our mind. He was debilitated by his sickness in his body, his soul, his spirit, and all of that was the consequences of his sin. I think it's safe to say as you read Psalm 6, Psalm 32, and Psalm 38, specifically 6 and 38, you got to come to a place in Psalm 51 that David's a man who would say, I'm haunted. I am haunted by my actions, my sinful actions. And he cries out to God to blot out his transgressions. That's a good prayer. Oh God, blot out my transgressions, blot them out. <laughs> David had to come to God because there was no way in the world that David could blot out his transgressions. There is no way that David can undo what David did. David's sin and your sin is like a, a bullet fired from a gun. You pull the trigger, you're never getting it back. What was done was done. The record had been written. It was recorded in God's book of remembrance. Adultery. Lust, I guess we should start with. Lust, coveting, adultery, lies, deceit, wicked plotting and planning, conspiracy, murder. It was all recorded. Now, some of y'all look at me funny. You, you don't know that God's got a book of remembrance? <laughs> Turn over to Malachi chapter 3. Oh, yeah. There's a recording angel in heavens taking notes and taking names. And there was not one single thing that David could ever do about that. 
What was done was done. David did it. You can't fix your past. Worse still, you can't blot your transgression out of the book of God's remembrance. Oh, Lord, preacher, are you serious? I'm dead serious. Nothing you can do. But he can. <laughs> if you was Pentecostal, you'd run and shout right now. He can. God is able. According to your love and kindness and the multitudes, I told you we need all we can get. The multitude of thy tender mercy, David said, I can't do anything about it. I've made a mess of things. I can't fix it every time I try. And you know in a year he's tried to fix a lot. It don't take but a moment in trouble and you're trying to fix everything. And you're like David. The more you try to fix, the worse it gets. Bring him home. Get him a furlough. He'll sleep with his wife and it'll be fine. Wouldn't do it. Get him drunk. He'll do it. Who would ever thought a man after God's own heart would stoop to something like that? But the word of God says that Uriah was a better man drunk than David was sober. Laid on the porch outside. Wouldn't dare go in and enjoy the luxuries of his home or his wife while his men were on the battlefield. David was trying and David was trying to cover up and fix what he had messed up, but he could not. He made it worse every time, just like you and just like me. All you can do is throw yourself on the mercy of God. God, I can't fix these things. I'm making a bigger mess. Lord, please blot out my transgressions. That's what he said, blot them out. Blot them out from your book, oh God. Set the record straight. Clear my record, David not only asked God to blot out his transgressions, but he, he asked about his open acts of willful rebellion. Blot them out. David said, and while you're at it, Lord, I love this. While you're at it, can I have a bath? Blot out my transgressions, but God, I, I need a bath. Isn't that amazing how sin makes you feel so dirty? dirty he said that wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin you you remember there in the upper room when Jesus was washing feet and Peter said no not me Lord <laughs> that was no pride that was pride in Peter but there's no pride in David at this point sin will bring you to the end of that stuff and David has said Lord I need a bath not a quick run through but a thorough scrubbing. See, I think our confession repentance is like my son when he was a little boy and he would come in from playing stinky and sweaty. And my son can sweat. He, he's always done that. He'll soak his head in 10 minutes out there playing. Tracy would say, whoo, get your tail in the bathtub. Has you ever seen a little boy that God made that likes to take baths? We'd hear the water running. Long times in there, we'd hear some splashing. He'd come in there and you'd still see dirt all over him. He'd have that towel and wipe his head. One time he got out and his head was still dry. She said, you wash your head? Mm -hmm. Are you sure? Oh, yeah. She said, well, I say, suggest you do it again. 
And if you've never had the privilege of raising boys, you're missing out. There was more spankings over lying about baths or just here are what we call them, run-through showers. I'm getting somewhere. That's what most all this playing is around here. Can you all let me preach tonight? That's about all this is, just a quick run-through because we got caught. Not David. David said, God, I need a bath. What kind of bath you need? I need a thorough cleansing. Lord, I need you to scrub me. Has anybody felt that way? Do you know what I'm talking about? God, you've got to spend some time on me. I need to be washed from the tip of my head to the soles of my feet. I need a thorough cleansing, a real cleansing from my iniquities. The word is my perverseness, my dirty nature. I need a real cleansing from my sin, my failure, my shortcomings. The convicting word of God made him to read his own sinful diary. Look at his own filthy dress to look down and see his diseased body. And I'm convinced that's why people don't want to read the word of God anymore. Because then they see how dirty they really are. In the light of how holy he is, we see how unholy we are. As Isaiah said, oh, woe is me, an undone man with unclean lips. But he saw his garments filthy. He saw, he saw his person guilty. He saw that in his body. And he begged God to wash him. Oh, how we need, like David needed, God's mercy not only to forgive our sins, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David needed that. And I ask you tonight, because it's my assignment from God, who else here needs their sins and transgressions blotted out and a bath in the word of God the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 27, that he could present his church, a glorious church, not having spot and wrinkle or any such thing, that he may wash us by the water of the word of God. That's why I love the word. It cleans us up. It cleans us up. And second of all, David acknowledges his guilt before God. Verse number three and four says, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin as ever before me. Against thee, the only of thy sin, and have done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest or thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Let me tell you something about this text. There's a whole lot of personal pronouns here. For the most part, when somebody comes to you and they're using sentences filled with I, my, me, it usually scares me to death. I usually want to back up. It's full of spiritual pride and full of sin. They, they just think too much of themselves. I can do this and I've done that and I, 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 I. That makes me nervous. Why? Because I know who I am. I know what the Bible says. I'm nothing. And apart from him, I can do nothing. And if I'm giving glory, I'm not giving it to him. My purpose in life is to glorify God. I, I'm to stay away from those I, me, and mys. I'm to talk about he and him. Lift him up and exalt him. Unless, unless 
It's a time of repentance and confession of sin. And then that's a great sentence. Because you're in trouble, not because of God. You're in trouble because of you. David, in this text, he acknowledges his guilt before God. He actually wanted to confess his sin. Boy, could we have revival. If the people of God, I'm not talking about lost people. If the people of God would come to the house of God wanting to confess their sin before the living God. Oh, we could have revival. What an outpouring of the Spirit of God. David could hide it no longer. It was obvious that the words of the prophet, the word of God, his sin was well known to heaven. In that moment, he realized, boy, I've been fooling myself. If if the Nathan knew it, it's obvious that God knew it and all heaven knew it. God knew what was going on all alone. What David had done was known to God. But then and there, after that was shared by the man of God, David owned it. David, from that point, called it my transgressions, my sin. He even confessed that it was ever before him. I understand that. As a child of God, you should understand that. You think you can sin and lay down at night? Uh Uh-uh. You think you can sin and just get up and do life right like you always did? You know. Your sin is ever before you. What does that mean? His sinful actions haunted him. He couldn't get away from them. They were in his mind and his heart and his thought day in and day out. Everywhere he turned, he saw his sin. I know it's getting quiet in here, but you know what I'm talking about tonight. I mean, every time he looked at Bathsheba. Every time he looked at her. Boy, that'd be a nice relationship to be involved in, wouldn't it? Every time he looked at her, all he could think about is how he had sinned against the living God. How he had violated his and their marriage vows. How he had lusted in his heart and lied. All he could do is every time he looked at her is think of those things. Everywhere he turned. I mean, when he looked in the eyes of Joab, don't you think he was reminded of that letter of assassination? Every time that he looked into the eyes of all of his servants that he deceived, his soldiers, his counselors, oh, his son, he saw his sin. He saw them. He came to the place when the word of God was shared. He said, enough is enough. I wanted to confess his sin. God called it sin. And what does the word confess mean? It simply means to agree with God. So when he saw this, he finally come to a place when he said, God, you're right and I'm wrong. We know it already. David knew it already. That's why God said, confess with your mouth. Why? God's already called it sin. His book declares it's sin. You know it's sin. And confession is coming before the living God and said, you're right. What I have done is grievous. It is sin. It is transgression. It is iniquity in the sight of the living God. You're right, Lord, and I'm wrong. That's what David wanted to do. To agree with God that it was sin. David said, it is my sin. It's my sin, Lord, and against you and you only have I sinned and I've done this evil in thy sight. And we read that and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. What did David say when he said, I've sinned against you and you only have I sinned? Did not David sin against Uriah, against Bathsheba, against his friends, his counselors, his servants, his soldiers, his son? Against that child that was conceived in adultery? Boy, that's a good question. So why in the world did he say, I've sinned against you and you only? Well, 
The answer to that question, did he sin against them, is the word is absolutely yes. Yes, he sinned against them. David sinned egregiously against man. But the Bible teaches us that ultimately, all sin is against God. All sin. How could sin against man be against sin, sin against God? Well, man is created in the image of God, and to wrong one of his creation is to wrong him. In essence, all sins are against God. All sins, all of them, we understand all of our sin touch and harm our fellow man, but first and foremost, they are against God. Most men would rather die than to acknowledge such, to confess sin, to agree with God it's wrong, and that we violated Him. Most what we see in the average church today in the local services is much, much more than a very weak confession to try to get out of trouble when we got caught. But not David. See, real repentance brings real remorse for our actions against the living God. It's not that you're in trouble with man as much as you're in trouble with the living God. David recognized that. David had real remorse that brought real repentance. And then in this is another key. He wanted God to be clear in judgment. It's another genuine clue of real repentance. David didn't want to just get off the hook. He knew that God would speak judgment in his life, and so do you. You know that before you indulge. You know that even before you entertain. Whatever sin or temptation there is, you know. You know, and I know. There's a price to pay to violate God's holy laws. And yet we indulge. And yet we sin. And you know you're going to get caught. We're y'all here tonight. You know you're going to get caught. You've never got by with anything being a child of God. You're going to get caught. And when he does, you know there will be judgment. Why? Because God is just and holy and must punish sin. That's what he said. The wages of sin, they're high. You understand that. You know it. And David did not just want to come clean to get off the hook. He knew judgment was coming, but he rested in the fact that whatever God spoke as a matter of judgment in his life, it would be right. And whatever punishment was handed out to him, it would be correct. And David asked for clarity. Think of this. David said, just give me full understanding of my chastisement. He wanted to see and to understand all that God was doing in his life. David did not want to get by with it. He did not want to get off the hook. He simply wanted to accept the punishment of God and learn from it and grow from it. And somehow or another glorify God in it. If you ask me, that's a genuine heart for repentance. You seek the Lord's forgiveness. God's good enough to blot out your transgression. God's good enough to wash you thoroughly and cleanse. Does anybody in here know what it's like to be fully and freely forgiven? Oh, that's good. But there's still consequences of sin. Why? Because God's not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's coming. And there's never been a time that God's handed out punishment and discipline in your life. 
that you hadn't learned, you hadn't profited, and you hadn't grown from it. David said, that's what I want. God, whatever you have for me, I deserve it. I need it. I need it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's mercy. It's mercy. People want to look at the chastisement of God and throw stones at God. How could he? They come clean, I'll tell you. Because he loves us. And because he's full of tender mercy. See, God should have struck him dead. God should have destroyed him and all involved. But God blotted out his transgression. <laughs> God washed him. And God punished him. And David was a better man for it. David learned. David grew. David glorified God. He wanted God to be clear. That's a heart of genuine repentance. And then I close tonight with David alludes to his sinful nature. Let's look at this together. Verse 5 says, Behold, he's appealing his case before God. He said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in my sin did my mother conceive me. Oh, behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts thou shalt make known, or make me to know wisdom. So in this time of appealing to the Lord, he, he, he alludes to God his own sinful nature. David confesses that he was born in sin, and I I've heard this taken out of context. Let me just clear the air. David is not saying that he was born out of a, a sinful relationship, like he was an illegitimate child or anything like that. That's not what he's referring to. He's rather saying, Lord, you, you know my frame. You know that I am but clay. Lord, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's just describing the doctrine of total depravity. He is describing to us our nature, a fallen sin nature. David is not trying to play the victim to get out of anything. He is not pleading inbred sin as an excuse, although all of us were born with a sin nature. He tells us in Genesis, Romans tells us as well, by one man's sin, death entered in. That sin has been passed down through Adam's seed. You're born a sinner. I think the greatest example is if you have children. Grandparents still deny it, but parents will understand. <laughs> You've got children, you know they come out knowing how to do wrong. You'll never convince grandparents of that. But it doesn't take long that you'll see that old wicked sin nature rear its head. You don't have to teach them to do bad. They know that. It's your job to teach them to do what is good and what is right. You see that. David is not saying, this is my plea. We are born sinners. That is our nature. But in essence, what he is saying as he confesses in repentance before God, real genuine repentance doesn't just throw it off on our nature. That's who we are. God, that's the way you made us. We just can't help it. But real confession lies in the truth that yes, I was born as a sinner, but I stand before you guilty and shameful and in trouble because I chose to sin. I chose to sin. Yes, I'm born into sin, but we're all born with that wicked sin nature. And yes, we are prone to do evil. But at the end of the day, man has a free will and you choose to do what is right or what is wrong. And David said, I'm here before you, God. You know my frame. It's weak. It's frail. But at the end of the day, I chose to sin against the living God 
You know my nature, Lord. And the only basis I've got when you come down to judging, just remember my frame. Then David confesses that he was blinded by sin. David knew full well, and so do you, that God desires as well as demands that his children wholeheartedly devote our lives to him. My, my greatest frustration, my greatest frustration as a pastor are those who name the name of Jesus, whose names are on the roll book of the local church, and yet at best half-hearted devotion to God, his church, and the things of God. It puts a bad taste in my mouth. But who cares about me? Who cares about what I think? It matters nothing. I'm just talking to you. What kind of taste does it leave in the mouth of God? Who said you are to love the Lord your God with your mind, your soul, your strength, your might. All of you. God demands and desires wholehearted devotion. We would call it holiness and righteousness. Why? Because to love Him with our whole hearts, mind, soul, and strength, it gives us wisdom and discernment to prevent self-deception and to avoid falling in pitfalls and times of temptation. Ephesians 6, suit up with the whole armor of God that you may be able to defend against the wiles of the devil, those wicked darts. That's why God wants you to focus on him wholeheartedly. Why? Because you can walk in victory. You know that. I know that. But David also knew that. So what do you do when your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and you cannot even trust your own heart? And I'll tell you something. When you wane in your devotion to God, temptations will come. They always come. And when they do, if you, like David, had forsaken God, your sin will blind you just like David was blinded by his sin. David had forsaken the Lord's commandments. He burned in his heart with lust like a fire. He had sinful passions that caused all wisdom, all restraint, and all caution to be thrown to the wind. And I didn't think I'd get a whole lot of amens on this. Because most of us has followed the same path as David. David was so blinded by his sin, all he wanted was Bathsheba. All he wanted was Bathsheba. He was blind. He was blind. That was not love. It was lust. His lust had blinded him. When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is conceived, it brings forth death, David said. But he had to have her. And so he would conspire and plot and plan and even murder. He would lie. He would deceive and he would violate marriage vows. He would stop at nothing until he had her. Sin had blinded David to all the consequences. Sin had blinded David to the fact that a moment's worth of pleasure would yield to a lifetime of pain. When one cast off devotion to God, at the same time they'll cast off all discernment when it comes in the hour of temptation, they too will find themselves just like David, miserable in sin and crying out for the mercy of God. I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. I'm not trying to make folks uncomfortable. Our sin does that. 
The Holy Spirit of God makes sure of that. But I wonder tonight, who needs to come? Who needs to come and sing this song of repentance towards God? Who, who here needs to make this song their song and find a place on the altar and cast themselves upon the mercy of God, confess their sins, seek His forgiveness and cleansing? John said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church, I, I want to talk to you just a minute. Temptation comes. All have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. Don't run. Don't hide. Don't try to escape. Come to Him. Come to Him who cares. Come to Him who is able to forgive. So you, you can't undo what you've done. That's a hard lesson, isn't it? Wouldn't you like to go back? Who here would not like to go back? Where would you start? A life of regret. You can't do that. It's still in my mind. Our sins and our transgressions against God. I have an accuser that likes to bring those up night and day. And I'd need medication just to get through the day if I didn't have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And praise God, He has blotted out my transgressions. He has washed me thoroughly from my iniquities. He's cleansed me. And I praise Him for that. But I know if I live long enough, I'm liable to blow it again. I'm liable to wane in my devotion to God. We would call it this way, lose my ever-loving mind. Cast all discernment and discretion out the window and indulge into something that we would say at the end of the day, that was stupid and uncalled for. Why would you do that? It don't have to be on the level of adultery and murder. Does it matter? I'm talking to my church, does it matter? Lose my tongue, lose my temper. Is it any different? That sin is as black as all of them. I'm going to need this. Because I can't cover it. I can't blot it out. The more I try to fix it, the worse it gets. Don't you want your song back? Aren't you tired of a well of despair? I remember when one of my friends got right with Jesus. I'd witnessed to him. I'd begged him. He was enjoying life on the other side of the tracks. He said, we we're having a revival meeting and I begged him to come. It was hot and popping, by the way. We was having a good meeting. A lot of people were getting saved. He came. That night there was some good singing. Folks were on their feet throughout the congregation. Some here, some there, just praising the Lord. I saw tears. Preaching ain't even started and people around the altar. Those are good meetings. 
He's standing there beside me. And man, I just, I appreciated the Lord that night. I, I was part of that number that was just praising the Lord. And I looked over beside him. Tears was running down his face. And I saw him. He started to raise his hands, but he fell to his knees. At the pew, he fell to his knees. Started weeping and he made his way to the altar. Made his way to the altar, spent time with the Lord and he lived this psalm. God had blotted out his transgressions. God washed him thoroughly from his iniquities. And that night we were rejoicing in what God had done in his life. And he said, I was so scared. Because when people were praising the Lord and the Lord was in the house, I tried to sing and nothing would come out. He said, everybody's raising their hands and I wanted to because I know who he is. But I couldn't get him up. All I could do was fall on my knees before God. He said, cleanse me. Then he could sing. Then he could rejoice. Quit letting sin and the devil take your song. There's enough mercy of God. It's tender and it's in multitudes. It's enough for all of us. Let it be your song tonight. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the example and the life of David that teaches us how to be forgiven, cleansed of our sin before God. Thank you for your tender mercies and your love and kindness. I'm thankful that you don't deal with us in justice, but in mercy. Lord, would you spread a little bit of that out tonight? No doubt there's folks here that just need to come and cast their self on the mercy of God because that's all we have, but I'm thankful that's all we need. Would you do a great work tonight, Lord? And we'll be thankful. And we'll praise you, and we'll give you glory. As all heaven rejoices, we'll rejoice. And we ask it in Jesus' strong name. Amen.